Acts chapter 2, it says that there was about a list of about 15 different nations, 15 different nationalities. So you have this mega church of about 3,000 people led by these 12 apostles with people from 15 different nations. So you got literally from, from the Middle East region to, to the European region to the African region. So you literally got white, brown, black brothers and sisters in Christ and every shade in between living with radical generosity and sacrificial unity amongst one another day by day by day. They were literally together all the time. How did this happen? Did this happen because there was some kind of diversity campaign? Did this happen because they were inundated by Facebook? Did this happen because the Roman governing authorities told them to? No, no, and no. It's because they had a spirit-filled grasp and understanding of the glory of Christ that adopted them into the family of God forever. And across melanin shades, across socioeconomic statuses and boundaries and man-made distinctions, they were able to actually live in the sacrificial unity together. Their hearts were changed from the inside out. There was no tokenism going on. It was real radical change. You know, there was a, an, architect, an architect of the British welfare state back in the early 1900s or late 1900s named Beatrice Webb. And she was working to uh, create a, a more just European society where there weren't as many inequalities. And she believed that if you just put the right social machineries in place, you know, things would actually be great. And so in her diary in 1925, reflecting when she began her work, she wrote this. In my diary in 1890, I wrote, I have staked all on the essential goodness of human nature. And now 35 years later, I realize how permanent are the evil impulses and instincts in man and how little you can count on changing them by any change in social machinery. No amount of knowledge or science will be of any avail unless you can curb the bad impulse. Don't get me wrong. Just laws and policies are good. God has ordained governing authorities to do that, to do that rightly. But they are not able to change the heart. They are not. It's specifically the Spirit of God through a saving knowledge of the gospel that can and will. To which Jesus said, you are the light of the world. You're a city on a hill. You're a city within a city. And people will see your good works and they will glorify your Father in heaven because of it. This is specifically the key distinction that we actually treat each other like family across all social economic boundaries and distinctions. We actually live with sacrificial unity, not just by, by writing some kind of uh, self-righteous Facebook post that says everyone's messed up except me. Not because we counted on the government to do what we as the body of Christ should do with our own wallets. But specifically, we feed one another, clothe one another, welcome, visit, care for one another. As Jesus said in Matthew 25, specifically, brothers and sisters in Christ. People get this confused about Matthew 25 a lot. 
People think that it's, oh, then, then, okay, this is a rubric. This is what I got to follow to enter the kingdom of heaven. No, Jesus is saying, look, these are the signs of your salvation. This is the proof of your pardon, proof that you're saved. You will treat each other like family. And Jesus said, whatever you do to the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you do it to me. It's not some arbitrary humanistic altruism. Specifically, are you loving your brother and sister in Christ? Because that's proof that you have been saved into the kingdom of heaven. How are you doing? How am I doing? Christian unity is not created. It is realized. Lastly, verse 47. I'm going to close with this. Oh, we don't have it. Okay, just kidding. (laughs) Good thing I have it here. Verse 47. They were praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. They were praising God, having favor with all the people, and day by day, the Lord added to their number, those who were being saved. What does this mean? God's ultimate goal through the church is to save others into it. God's ultimate goal through the church is to save others into it. This is the theme throughout the book of Acts, is that people are convicted by the verbal proclamation of the gospel, which is Christ crucified for our sins and risen again according to the scriptures. And then they're they're redeemed, reconciled to the Father, covered with the blood of Christ, citizenship into the kingdom of heaven, reconciled to brothers and sisters of Christ across all man-made distinctions. And through this, and their joy of salvation together as a city within a city, a new kind of humanity. People are drawn to the presence of God and hear the proclamation of the gospel and are saved every day. This is this is exactly what happened through the book of Acts. Through the book of Acts, read it. Acts is literally part two of the gospel of Luke. Acts two, the book of Acts explains exactly how the church of God is to carry out the mission of God, the great commission of God in Matthew 28, how they carried it out. By proclaiming the gospel, people being saved unto eternal life. You find that theme time and time again throughout the book of Acts. And that's exactly what they did here. They were relentlessly evangelizing people who were looking in going, wow, I want in, what's that about? They were caught up in worship. Put it simply, we're going to eat Shake Shack with uh, Rebecca's parents later for Father's Day. But if I was in Shake Shack in the restaurant, can't do that right now. If we're eating Shake Shack in the restaurant as family, enjoying that amazing cheeseburger, and people are looking inside and going, seeing us enjoying these burgers and having a great time, and they're going, What's that all about? Is that good? You better believe out of the joy that fills my heart. I'm going to say, yes, it's awesome. Please get some before the store closes. In a very similar way, that's exactly what evangelism is. Evangelism actually flows from our worship. When we're caught up in worship of this glorious God, what's the natural result? We tell somebody. We tell somebody. Not, oh man, I have this, you know, this, 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 
um, anxiety, nerve-wracking uh, presentation I gotta give, and because it's a weighty subject, obviously I understand that, but really what it's supposed to flow from is this praising God, you're caught up in worship, and your heart is filled with faith, hope, and love, and joy, and what overflows is you're inviting other people into the same worship. Evangelism is an extension of your worship. You're pointing people to the worth of God, and our need to repent and believe Christ, and to join them in this joy of our salvation. God's ultimate goal through the church is to save others into it. As a matter of fact, Jesus said in John 4, 23, I went in with this. And that passage with the Samaritan woman, which I was talking about a few weeks ago. The hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. And the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. Evangelism flows from worship. This is the Father's mission. Church, will you join Him? This is our Father's heart. Oh, how I wish, church, that we would just as boldly declare the gospel of Christ crucified for our sins and risen again according to the scriptures for our forgiveness and reconciliation and entrance into the eternal life, into, this, into the kingdom of heaven. I wish we would boldly declare that as we would with any other thing on social media, over the coffee table, and on the streets. This is God's heart. This is the Father's heart to seek worshipers. He is seeking them to worship Him in spirit and in truth and find life to the full. Church, will you join me? Let's get caught up in the beauty of his glory, unified together sacrificially, and let's shine and boldly proclaim this gospel in worship. Let's pray. Father God, we just want to thank you, Lord, so much for this Father's Day as we recenter our eyes and our hearts onto you as Father. Remembering that our brothers and sisters in Christ are our family. And nothing, just as nothing can separate us from you, nothing can separate our brother and sister in Christ from us. Nothing. And thus we will do whatever it takes to not only be at peace and be unified with them, also to empty out our pockets to serve them as Christ did to us because they're family and Lord we know that one day at the last day of judgment you will see if we have treated one another like family this will be the proof of our pardon this will be the sign of our salvation that we're indeed we're adopted into the family of God by faith alone by grace alone and Christ alone, apart from works of the law. So God, help us, God, to, to remember this beauty so that the world may see the city within a city that is so glorious. They're going, how do they love one another like that? How are they filled with so much joy across all the socioeconomic divides of our society? How? To which we say, it's Jesus who died for our sins and rose again. And we're in his family forever. Join us. Believe. Receive.
worship you. From this place of worship, we join you in your mission to seek more worshipers and to your kingdom. For your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.